0: Just testing you guys, it's kinda quiet out there. Good morning, church, it's good to be together. Good to see you guys, good to see everyone at home. Uh, Glad you're still alive this second Sunday of the new year, 2021. We made it, we made it past uh, 2000. You guys remember there was a little scare turning the millennial, we're 20 years later, we're still going, so I think one more year we're gonna be okay. We're gonna get through COVID, it's gonna be okay. Um, But it's just so wonderful to be together in God's house reading his word this morning. Uh, If you were here last week, you saw that we're in a series right now called uh, We Are Grace. And uh, we are trying to unpack a biblical vision, a biblical understanding from the scriptures of what it means to be the church, what it means to be the people come together as God's children in his family, and specifically for us as Grace Bible Church. And this morning, we're going to be talking about maturing in God's Word. And we're going to be reading the last few verses from uh, a few verses in the book of 2 Timothy. uh, And we're going to try to understand uh, what God has to say to us about how we can mature in the the faith that he's given us, the faith that he's passed on to us. Uh, And so that's where we're going to be at this morning. Now, before we jump in, I do want to ask all of you guys a question. Uh, Have you ever been in a disagreement over what's true anybody ever been in a disagreement over what's true or what about ever been in a disagreement about which direction to go you've been driving you've been on some trip and you've been in a disagreement about whether to turn left or right or go straight or uh, worse when the road's turning every which direction you're not sure i think we all have right And what we're going to see from this passage today, what we're going to see in this final letter from Paul to Timothy is he's going to talk about how do we grow in knowing what's true. And when there's disagreements, when there's quarrels, how are we as Christians supposed to go about it? He's going to give us instructions on how we're supposed to handle those things. So what I'd like to do is uh, I'd like to uh, read these verses together, and then I'd like to pray over them. And so I want to invite everybody this morning to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. That's going to be our, our short passage, and uh, these, are, these are the final words of the Apostle Paul to the church. Uh, but since we're just gonna be in a small portion of 2 Timothy, uh, I do wanna look at the context, right? Because every time uh, we're reading part of God's word, we have to know the context. And so what's the context of 2 Timothy? Well, Paul was writing to Timothy in these verses we're about to read. And he was telling them, this faith that's been passed on to you, that's been entrusted to you, guard it well and pass it on to to others. Just like you saw the example in my life, Paul, and he mentions in the letter his mother and his grandmother as well. Just as you saw in your mom, just as you saw in your grandmother, just as you saw in my life, past this same faith, on to others. And so that's the whole context that we're gonna pick these words up in. And so uh, the words are also gonna be behind me on the screen, but I invite you to jump in uh, with your Bibles and, and uh, read along as I read these words to us. So this is 2 Timothy 2, 14 through 17. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which, do, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hameas and Philetus. And so let's take these words now to prayer before our Lord. Jesus, we just thank you for giving us your word this morning to read, to study to know. And God, we just pray that you would align our lives and align our hearts with your words this morning. Father, I pray that we would not hear from my voice or my words, but I pray that we would hear your voice and your word. We thank you for this opportunity to understand who you are. And we pray all these things in your name as his church. And everybody said, amen. Amen. All right, so let's go back to that first verse verse there. He says, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words. So what is he telling Timothy to remind uh, the church, to remind others of? So we have to go back a little bit and I wanna read a couple verses from earlier. And so I wanna bring up on the screen or you can just flip up in your Bible there to a few verses above in 2 Timothy 2 verses 1 and 2. And Paul says here to Timothy, he says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So he's saying, remind them of this. Remind them to be strengthened in the grace that comes from Christ Jesus. Remind them of the gospel. Remind them to be walking in, to be strengthened by it. That's what he had heard. He said, what you had heard, this message of the gospel, and what does he say to do with it? He says, hey, Timothy, what I taught you, what your mother taught you, what your grandmother taught you, pass it on so that others can continue to teach people about the truth of the gospel. Now, it's interesting. Take note. Look at the passage there. How? many generations are there in Second 2 Timothy 2 1, and 2, 1 through 2. How many generations do you see in that verse? It starts with Paul, and it goes to Timothy, and he says, teach it to faithful men who will be able to teach others. If you're able to count this morning, if you're awake with me, that was four. Four different generations, and so, and if you go all the way back to the author, it started with Christ, right? And so it started with Christ, And then it passed from generation to generation to generation. And what are the next generation to do, do you imagine? They're supposed to pass it on as well. It's what every Christian's uh, purpose and mission is. And so in verse 14, he says, remind them of this, the purpose of walking in the gospel, knowing the gospel, and passing the gospel on. That's what he's saying. We need to live it out and pass it on. Now, it's interesting In these verses we're going to read this morning, in verses 14 through 17, there's going to be two sets of commands of what we should do, and there's going to be two sets of commands of what we shouldn't do. And he's he's going to start off with what, what to do, what not to do, and then he's going to again say, what should we do, what should we not do? And so what we should do is we as Christians should be reminded of the gospel constantly, and we should pass it on constantly. But then he says there in verse 14, what should not do is we should not get involved in quarreling about words which does no good but only ruins the hearer. Now it's interesting that this word for ruin is a word, a Greek word we all know, catastrophe. And in this, and what it literally means is to turn something up, upside down, for it to be worthless, of no value. And he's saying that we need to focus on what's true, on the gospel, and not get caught up in petty bickering or debating about things that are not of significance, but we need to keep the main thing, the main thing. And even when we're correcting what's wrong, we need to be gentle about it and we need to be kind about it. We shouldn't look like the world when we're trying to stand up and teach what's true. Instead, he says what we should do, verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. I want to encourage you, church, to underline this verse in your Bible. This is really the thrust of what he's saying this morning about maturing in God's word. And this is a great verse to memorize. This is a great verse to underline in your Bible and to remember. Let me read it again. He says, what we should be doing is presenting ourselves to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Now, what I want to do fairly quickly is I want to go through this verse and I want to share some of the Greek that's behind the words there so we have a full understanding of, of what he's saying. So, the, the first thing he says is, Do your best to present yourself. Spurazo is the word there. And what he's saying there, Do your best to present yourself, is to have a persistent zeal, a continuous effort. This should be your every aim, continually working at it, because he's going to say in a minute there, you notice the next thing he says, why should we persistently zeal and work after this? So that we are approved. And the, the meaning of that word that's behind approved, dokimos, is this idea of being tested. And we hate school, right? But in school, there's always a measure, either you pass or you fail. And it's the same for us in the gospel. Either every day we live dependent upon Christ and the gospel or circumstances cause our hearts and our minds to drift away from it and we start relying upon ourselves. And his command here is rely upon God. Rely upon the gospel. Study my word so you will understand the gospel. Be close to me. And so his, his, what he's saying here is be persistent, stay with this so that every day when you're tested, what you're standing upon is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he gives this illustration next and he says, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. And the emphasis in this word worker is not on the idea of a skill. A lot of times, uh, I, I just got an old school memory back to Napoleon Dynamite, I got no skills, right? Um, but a lot of times we're focused on skills. And the emphasis here is not on skill. The emphasis here is on the effort, is on the labor. And he's given this illustration to say, continue to put the work in. Continue to go after this. Be a worker after these things. You know, an illustration uh, might be, you know, a woodworker or a gardener or a welder. But think of the, the longer you do something, the more your practice gets better at it. And I started thinking of us as Christians, we might think of reading God's word and praying and talking with him and reflecting and seeing where we're out of alignment with God and making adjustments. It takes time and it takes practice to continue to walk with God in these things and to do it in community to constantly strive to, the natural path of our lives is to be pushed away from each other, not closer to each other, which is why COVID is such a horrible attack, right, on us as the church, because we have to work twice as hard to be close to one another. But we need to do these things in community. We need to work at this by reading God's word, praying, reflecting, and having others speaking truth into our life. And it's this image he gives us of a worker. And and the worker, he says, is not to be ashamed. So if you're a woodworker and you build a chair and someone sits on it and and it falls over, it's gonna be an embarrassing moment, right? Or if you put a sprinkler system in, you're a landscaper and you put a sprinkler system in and the moment that system goes off, all the heads pop off and the water's shooting straight in the air. You're gonna be embarrassed. They're gonna want, the customer's gonna want, your friend can't get their money back, but they're not gonna ask for your help anymore. And if it's a customer, they're gonna want their money back, right? I mean, he's giving this picture of, You don't want to be a worker that's ashamed, but a worker that's proud of of what you've done. And so as we think of our lives maturing with God, we need to be constantly, persistently, zealously working at seeking to understand what God's word is so that we are relying upon his word and not anything else. And the longer that we do, the more confident that we're in it. I got into gardening about two years ago, and, and, and I didn't know the names of plants. I didn't know what I was doing. And the longer I, I've done it, the more that I've come to understand. It's like that in anything, welding, woodworking. He's saying it's the same with our walk with God. We need to prioritize it, work at it, make it important in our lives. And the next thing he says there is rightly handling, orthotomeo. And this word in Greek means to cut Straight. To spend time in God's word, to rightly handle God's word, this illustration he's giving from this Greek word to cut straight is to make a path that's clear for us to follow so that we stay on that path ourselves and the path is so clear that anyone around us would understand how to follow that path. They would understand and see how to be close to God. And so as Christians, we can either stray from God and we can cut crooked paths that are very difficult for others to follow, or we can stay close to God, rightly understanding his word, digging into it so that we cut a clear path. And the last thing is, what are we supposed to cut a clear path to or of? He says the word of truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is our target. Either we hit that target or we miss that target. It's a road, either it's straight or it's crooked. And think about a target. If if you're shooting in another direction, those around you are going to see the direction that you're shooting in. And so what he's encouraging us as Christians is that the call for all of us as a Christian is to make God's word so central in our heart, so central in our life that the road that we're carving, the path that we're carving, the target that we're shooting at is obvious for anyone else to see. Are you getting this, church? Are you following with me? So let's continue on, verses 16 and 17. He's again going to say uh, what we should, what we should uh, not do now here. We've had another warning of what we should do. We should mature in God's word. We don't want to be ashamed of it, but we want to rightly handle it. Now he's going to give us another warning, and this is our last warning. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. Philetus. And so he tells us we should avoid worldly or godless talk, that we should teach and focus on what is true. We shouldn't get focused on mediums or psychic readers or tarot cards or astrology and all these things that are completely false. We should stay away from them. But even within doctrines, we should focus on what's true, we should teach what's true, and we shouldn't get involved in all these debates and quarrels and i want to give you an example of of one that i see often in the church today there's this movement within churches called the word of faith and what the word of faith is is it says that basically you name what god says is true you name what's right and you just claim it for yourself so if i need healing i just say god heal me and and i'm healed if if i need money i just say god everything's yours and and whatever i want it's mine And it's the idea that all of the kingdom of God has come to us right now. Now it does not take two seconds to read your Bible to understand that God says that this world is broken and that Satan is still at work in this world and that clearly God hates death and we are still dying. And so all healing all blessing, everything is not going to come until one day when we are with God forever, when he returns in his kingdom, okay? It does not take two seconds but to read your Bible to understand that. So anybody that gets up and preaches and starts saying, everybody can be healed, everybody will have financially whatever they want, it, it's obviously not a false gospel. And whenever we hear this preaches as Christians, it makes us very upset. And the temptation for us, and this is his warning to us, because I used to watch some of these preachers on TBN, and I'm not saying they're all bad, but I used to watch them on TV and I would watch it and I would just cringe and I would get so upset and I'd be like, how are they saying these things that are totally not what the Bible says? And I would just focus on it and start researching. And what he's saying is, let it go. Just live your life based on what's true, Teach what's true, and not only say it, but live it, and it will be a clear example to everyone. I mean, point out when something is wrong, but don't get hyper-focused on it and get caught up in it and get argumentative like the world. No good's gonna come from it because this is obviously not of God. And what was happening is he mentions two names in his day, Hymenaeus and Philetus, and they were doing something very similar. They were claiming within the church at this time that there was gonna be no resurrection of our bodies, that that, that was not gonna happen, that the only new life that we had was internal, inside of our spirit, and there wasn't gonna be a second resurrection. And that's very troubling, it's, it's very false, because we know the scriptures say that Jesus is coming back one day, and that one day there will be no, there will be no shame, there will be no weeping, there will be no cancer, there will be no death, and we are gonna get glorified, resurrected bodies, and I I don't know, but my garden is gonna be awesome in heaven, it's gonna be epic, right? There's not gonna be any uh, July and August summers in Laredo to kill everything. Uh, Our families are gonna be awesome, there's not gonna be cancer that's gonna come in the way. Everything is gonna be beautiful and amazing because we are gonna live with glorified, resurrected bodies forever in heaven. So they were teaching this false gospel, and he's saying, don't get caught up in it, First of all, don't invite them into your church to to preach these things that are false, but point out what's wrong and move on and keep preaching the gospel. Why? Because if you get caught up in these things, if you start teaching them or you start focusing on them, it's just going to spread in the church like gangrene. And he's saying the best illustration for focusing on all these false doctrines is is in the medical world. Gangrene is this vicious disease that not only rots you from the inside out, but it smells horribly and it's really hard to treat. And so he's saying when we get caught up in these squabbles in the church of constantly squabbling about petty things or even significant things, but but we take our eyes off of the gospel, we take our eyes off of Jesus, it causes the church uh, to suffer. it, It causes God's work to suffer. And so that's his teaching to us in these verses. Very simply put, we should present ourselves to God as ones rightly approved, ones who rightly handle God's word, that rightly understand it, that rightly live it, that rightly teach it, and we should not get caught up in petty squabbles. Life is too precious, our time as Christians is too precious to waste our time on those things. And why are these things important? What I want to do now is, I just want to take a few moments in closing and reflect on these words in this teaching and think about how this practically plays out in our life day to day and ask why this is so important. And so, I want to ask a question Church, what is your vision for your life as a Christian? What is your vision? for our church, where do you see our church going? What do you see our church becoming? By the way, what's the church, by the way? What is the church? It's us, right, the people. God said, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What's your vision for God building up of the people of this church in this generation, in the next generation? And that's my last question. What's your vision, those of you that have children, what's your vision for your kids? Why is this important? Because how we handle God's word directly affects the vision for where we're going in our life, where this church is going as us together, and where our kids are going. Because we're looking in this series at God's vision for his church, right? And what his church is, it's a summary of what's happening in every single one of our families and then every single one of our families coming together. And so I wanna ask a few sets of questions to help us think through how handling God's word plays out in our life. The first question is, when you think of, and and I'm mostly gonna frame this from the mindset of a a parent, okay? So parents, parents, Tune in. But if you're if you're not a parent, if you're not a grandparent, this applies to you in the same way because every single one of us has someone in our family and our life that we love, that we have the opportunity to pass this faith on to. But Deuteronomy 6 says that the primary place for the next generations in this church to pass our faith on comes from the home. And so Think of it like a family, like a big church family. And think of this as parents. Parents, what is your vision for your kids? What's your priority? Is it for them to make a decision for Christ? Or is it for them to become a disciple of Christ? Because how we look at those two things will radically change how we approach God's Word. If we simply want our kids to make a decision for Christ, then just becoming part of a good church a good kids' ministry on Sundays, a good youth program. is just something we can check off the box and think they're gonna hear enough about God to say, okay, God is true. But if we want our kids to become disciples of Christ who wholeheartedly learn to seek after God, to depend after God, to care about what he says more than what anyone else says, then that impacts how we live. That impacts our conversations at home. That means that they're watching every single thing that we do as parents. And and the faith that they're going to pick up on is is, is not just some Bible study they heard at church, but they're going to see our lives. And it radically changes how we approach this conversation. And so I want to ask you, church, parents, grandparents, members of this church, how hungry have you been for God's word? How important Has God's word been in your life? Or is Satan getting some sort of victory right now where this book is far from you? I remember when I first moved to Denver years ago, I got there and my buddies were looking for churches and and we were in churches and um, we were checking different churches out. And we went to this one church and we went back, I don't know, two months later. And we went to the church two months later and they were like, hey, is your name Tim Rowley? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it is. They were like, hey, you got your Bible here. And I was like wow, no way. And the crazy thing is I didn't even know it was gone. I didn't even know it was gone because I hadn't been reading my Bible. I didn't even miss it. Church, either we are working hard to handle God's word individually and together as a church. Oh, we're not. And our lives and our families look radically different. And so that's one question is do we want a decision or do we want a disciple? Because if we're just trying to make a decision, many kids end up not really following God because it was just information. It wasn't transformation. Here's another question. Is it about self-fulfillment in our lives or is it about self-sacrifice? Are our lives focused on just being happy and having enough money in the bank account and and having a good time with our family. If, If we are living just to please ourselves and be happy with our life, our kids will pretty quickly be able to watch us at home and recognize and see they don't need Jesus. They don't need God for that. They can go find that elsewhere. But if we are living by the grace of God, for the love of God, to give our life away, to serve others in everything, That is what they will see too. And they will have to come to a decision as to if they wanna choose that, but it will be a straight road for them to see that was my dad, that was my mom, that was my grandma, that was my youth leader, that was my Sunday school teacher. That's the purpose of all of our lives is God wants us to learn to give our life away. He who holds on to his life will lose it, but he who gives it away will gain it. So church, what's your attitude been recently towards your job, towards your friends, towards your wife, towards your kids? Is it for those things to please you? For those people there to please you? Or are we approaching these things like this passage says, like the word of God says, to be strengthened in God's word so we stand in the gospel and we walk into all situations with our friends, in our workplace, with our spouse, with our kids, to serve and give our life away and point others to Christ. Guys, it is impossible apart from being grounded in this book. And here's the last question Are we about isolation or are we about participation? Our our society, we love our independence and we love to be off on our own. And if our goal is just to have a, a few Christian friends and a place to come hear God's word, you can easily check the box off. But if you want to be deeply part of the body of God, like God's word tells us, we all have to work at it. We all have to give our life to it. That's why we talk about Partnership and serving in small groups. God's intention is that we're all in one another's life. This church will be weak without it. I want to. I want to share a, a testimony, a story. I may have shared this years ago, but I got choked up this morning as I was thinking about this passage, just reading it, because I thought about my uncle David. My uncle David grew up in Philadelphia. I have one thing in common with the Fresh Prince, and that my fa- our families are both from West Philly. Okay, so. My uncle David, my family, were from West Philly, not anymore, Laredo now. But my, my uncle David was famous for one thing in the Catholic church as a young man. Uh, they have very similar Laredo, they have what well, we have like Hamikas down here, they have those same things up there, okay? And they sell a lot of beer, because uh, it's a big fundraiser to make money for the church for the year. And, and so my uncle David is well known in West Philly for instituting the second fence. Because what was happening at these big parties where everyone was coming together uh, to give money to the church for that year and and drink a little beer along the way, uh, is people were passing these beers on uh, to youth, right? And my Uncle David, being a leader in the church, said, you know, hey, uh, we can fix this. Let's just put a, a second fence so they can't so easily pass the beers on. You buy the beers for yourself and you move on, right? And I love hearing that story about my uncle. It always cracks me up every time I hear it. But his faith and his journey didn't end then. So then he gets married and him and my aunt go on a honeymoon. And while they're on their honeymoon, probably the time when you're most self-focused in your entire life, right? It's just all about your marriage. Some other couple just starts hanging out with them that's also on their honeymoon. And this other couple starts telling them about Jesus. And they'd been in the church, right? They grew up Catholic, so they'd been in the church. But my uncle David didn't really understand the gospel. And something happened on his honeymoon and he just caught fire for God. And he came home and he came and told my dad, his brother-in-law, everything that had happened. And my dad started listening to the gospel and my dad turned to God. And my dad said, I I gotta tell other people, my dad went to seminary. And then when my dad was gonna go and, and be a pastor and it was time to move, guess who showed up? And I remember this as a kid, guess who flew all the way down from Philly and drove our family when it was time for us to go and my dad to go be a pastor, my uncle. He rode the whole way. And I remember riding in the truck with him as a five-year-old, as my family was on this journey to go be part of a church. And his entire life, every year, he took a, mission, a week off from work in the summer and he went on a mission trip with his church. And praise God, by the grace of God, In in my Uncle David's family, there's four pastors now because he made his every waking moment to share Christ with people. And I know the only reason, one of the reasons that I'm actually here being able to proclaim the word of God is because some couple on their honeymoon told my uncle about God, who told my dad, who told me, who took me to church and a Sunday school told me the gospel and I received Christ and people nurtured me and grew me, pastors and elders and deacons in this church and then said, hey, we want you to pass this on. And my hope is that my son will then do that one day. And I share that story with you, church, because what is our vision for our church? What is our vision for our lives? Is it not for every single one of us to walk with God and to give our life away? And so I wanna close with this. More questions. If we're to present ourselves to God as one approved, one who rightly handles the word of God, Has that been your work? I say this gently and firmly, church. When you go home today, everyone, has that been your work? Has your work this last week, this last month, this last year, 2020, to be to rightly understand and know the Bible? Not just to know it here, but to know it here. The more that we do that, the more that we have, the more that we pass this faith on. Because without it, if we have everything else in this world and we don't have God, we have nothing. Would you guys pray with me? Jesus, we just thank you for this opportunity to be challenged, be encouraged by what your words say. And you're crystal clear with us, God. Your spirit lives inside of us. You say that you've made a deposit in us and that we should guard this deposit living inside of us. So God, right now, that spirit that's living in every believer here, Father, would you just whisper to each of us that we can fan the flame, that we can grow in this faith that you've imparted to us. And God, this year, would we treasure your word Would we treasure it by reading it ourselves? Would we treasure it by talking about it in our family, when we sit down over dinner, when we go for walks? Would we treasure it by joining these grace prayers this year and praying together as a church and reading your word? Would we treasure it by joining small groups and sharing it with others? God, you don't want any one of us to remain in the shadows God, it is not our power that does anything good in this world, but it is only your power. And whatever discouragement, whatever distractions we have from your word, Father, we ask you by the power and by the name and by the blood of Jesus Christ, would you remove them? And would you put your word front and center in our hearts, in our lives? God, I personally and so grateful for Christians that invited me to be part of Bible groups, to read the words with them. And I'm so thankful for Christians right now that every day share what they're learning with me. God, we all need others in God's word. We all need to point each other to God's word. We need your word. So let nothing come between us and your word this year, Father. And, and God, I, I say this last prayer, Father, We, I think, we know we need your word, Lord, and yet sometimes we set these lofty goals and you know it, you're probably up there laughing at us like, yeah, you're gonna read the whole Bible this year. That's funny. Uh, I know you, you don't even like to read. Um, God, help us not to carry any guilt about this. God, just release us from any shame we have that we've never been in your word. God, there's no, there's no standard of perfection. You just want us in your word. So we just just taking more of it this year. we just being more of it, more of it in our families, more of it ourselves, more of it as a church. And God, would both you and us at the end of this year look back smiling on Grace Bible Church, thinking of all the wonderful things that we've learned about you. We pray all these things that everybody at Grace said. Amen. Thank you, church.